You're listening to the Full and Thriving Podcast, a place where courageous women come to break free from food obsession, heal their relationship with their body, and strive to live a life that's present, lighthearted, and meaningful. If you're listening, my wish is that this podcast serves as a catalyst that inspires you to nourish your body, nurture your mind, and energize your spirit. I'm your host, Meg McCabe, a certified life coach and eating disorder recovery coach with a PhD in having a good time. Just kidding about that last part. Anyway, thank you so much for listening and enjoy the show. Hello, everyone, and welcome again to another solo episode of the Full and Thriving Podcast. I am coming at you today with more exciting information about how to succeed in your eating disorder recovery. And personally, I am having a pretty energetic day. I have high energy. I'm feeling good, despite it being really gross outside. So I've been meditating in the mornings more consistently and actually working on opening up my third eye and I've been a lot happier the past few days. So I'm wondering if that has something to do with it, but I'm always learning and growing and so are all of you. So it's always important for me to notice like what makes me happier day to day. And I've been trying to commit to doing that. I've also been trying to listen to more dance music. I got in this mode of listening to very chill jazz or vibrational music. And it's amazing to feel a sense of relaxation and calm all the time. But I started noticing that I want to be a little bit more like energized and dancing helps me do that so much. So I've also been noticing that this process of meditating in the morning and then listening to more high energy music gets me in a better state of joy, like a little bit higher level emotional state. So I've decided to start opening up to you guys about where I am day to day on this podcast, um, because I think it's important for you all to know more about me, especially if you listen to the show. I want to make sure that we are all feeling connected to each other and I know I love podcasts where people kind of share a bit about themselves. So that's my little life update for this episode. Today, I wanted to talk to you about something we've been working on in the Recovery Collective, and that is goal setting. And I know I have a podcast episode all about facing your fears. And this month in the Recovery Collective, we worked with Kate Noel to face our fears. And a lot of facing your fears in recovery goes hand in hand with goal setting. So today I want to talk to you about the nine secrets to goal setting in eating disorder recovery. And there are a lot of secrets to goal setting in general. So I'm going to make this specific to eating disorder recovery and use some examples in recovery so you can feel inspired to set your own goals. So yeah, let's just dive right in. 
So the first secret to goal setting and recovery, which isn't so secret, it's kind of a general goal setting tip, no matter what field you're in or what you're working towards. And that is to make your goals specific and strategic. So one thing I know I've been guilty of this is setting a goal, but not really thinking through the strategy to get there or making it really general and vague. So one goal that's really general and vague might be this month, I'm going to eat more. (laughs) It's like, okay, yes, in an ideal world, you will be eating more. But if you don't lay out a strategic plan to get there, it's going to turn into this kind of vague idea and, and it won't be so tangible. It will be more elusive and not something that you can grasp onto and make actual change with. So I would ask you to question, okay, so your goal is to eat more this month. What specifically do you want to increase in your diet? Is it the amount of carbohydrates you're eating? Is it the amount of protein you're eating? There may be something you can specifically work on so it doesn't feel so overwhelming. So I know so many of us are afraid of carbohydrates and grains. So let's focus on this example. So for instance, you notice that you just limit your carbohydrates. You're underserving yourself with, you know, cereals, pasta, rice, potatoes, all those bread, all of those delicious things. And you really want to increase that. And one fear you have is bagels because they are dense and high energy and you haven't had them in years. So a specific strategy might be, okay, this month I'm going to have, or let's break it down to a week. So overall, you're going to increase the amount of carbohydrates you have this month because that's something you always underserve yourself with. So this month you might say, okay, this week I'm going to start by having a bagel two to three times this week. And if you are a planner, and I highly recommend it if you can, pick the days that you want to have the bagel. Maybe it's Wednesday and Saturday. Okay. So that's two, maybe three times. Maybe it's Wednesday, Thursday, and Saturday. Pick the days. And then you also want to have cream cheese. So that's another thing. So you're going to have a bagel with cream cheese two to three times this week. Pick the dates. Notice I put a range in there because we like to get away from black and white thinking. So if you say, oh, I want to have three bagels this week, and there's no flexibility or compassion there, it might turn into a cycle of just feeling like a failure when you don't reach that goal. So if you give yourself a compassionate range, it feels a lot more digestible. That that was an intentional word there. It feels digestible to have a range because it's more compassionate. So set it within a range. And then, so That's an example of a weekly goal, having a bagel with cream cheese two to three times this week. And then the next question, and I did talk about this with my fear foods episode, is be one step ahead 
of your eating disorder. So once you set a goal for yourself for the week, you need to ask yourself, how is my eating disorder going to sneak in with this goal? How will I potentially be compensating because of my eating disorder? Because our perfectionist brains are going to tell us we're going to be able to achieve this thing, no problem. But if we don't acknowledge how our eating disorder is going to get in the way or try to sabotage the integrity of the goal, we might not really achieve what we've set out to achieve. So in the instance of the bagel, your eating disorder will probably, I'm guessing, try to buy some sort of low fat cream cheese or fat free cream cheese. And you'd also try to get a whole wheat light bagel that was restricted in calories or something. Like just call yourself out. I cannot stress enough the importance of calling your eating disorder out over and over again. So you have to ask yourself, how is my eating disorder going to sneak in here and own up to the fact that there's a potential that will happen. And then once you have that out in the open, you need to strategize to prevent that corruption of your plan from happening. So if you know that you will go to the grocery store and buy diet cream cheese and a diet bagel, and then the whole integrity of your plan is just screwed up from the start and you're not really holding yourself to that high level goal, you need to set up yourself for success. So I recommend first coming up with creative ways to do that. So for instance, I might recommend, okay, who in your life do you trust? Maybe you need to ask your mom or your partner to grocery shop with you so that you are held accountable to buying the non-diet options of the bagel and the cream cheese. Or maybe you can ask that person to do the grocery shopping for you. So you are guaranteeing that those recovery-oriented options are getting purchased and brought to your home. There may also be this idea that your eating disorder might sneak in and won't actually eat the bagel and cream cheese. So you might even have to go as so far as to ask your mom or partner or friend to sit with you on those days you've decided to make sure that you eat and finish the bagel. Notice how all of a lot of these require some sort of accountability buddy. So that can be a really good way to just break your dishonest ED cycle. And then finally, another way the ED might sneak in my PO. Well, I can have these bagels, but then I'm going to exercise excessively or extra so that I can give myself permission to eat these things guilt free. And so notice how the ED likes to incorporate some behaviors so that you feel more comfortable with the challenge or the goal. And so you have to commit to not doing that extra exercise. You have to limit yourself in that way. I was talking to a member of the Recovery Collective, and she was telling us how she was going on a trip with her boyfriend's family, and she was really nervous about eating these full meals. 
And she brought up this example of exercise and how she probably wouldn't have trouble eating the food, but she would feel this compulsion to compensate through exercise. And what I suggested, you know, cause we have to be one step ahead of the eating disorder. We have to consistently call ourselves out is do not bring your exercise running shoes to your boyfriend's parents' house. Do not bring workout clothes. So she had to go so far to set up herself for success to limit herself literally physically. So she's making the environment different because she's, she's not bringing her workout clothes to this trip. And therefore she has way less chances of compensating through exercise. Okay. So goal setting and recovery is not just setting the goal. It is being one step ahead of your disorder and constantly calling yourself out. And so that brings me to number three, which is tied into number two. Number three is you must stick to the integrity of the goal. So once you have it planned and it's specific and strategic, and you've called out how your eating disorder is going to sneak in, you need to stick to the integrity of the goal. So that means don't tell your recovery coach or your dietitian or your therapist that you're going to meet these goals and then deep down you know that you won't. That is a fantasy that you're living in. If you keep committing to these goals that you can't achieve, you need to make sure that it's small enough and manageable enough that you can at least get there. So the integrity of this goal that you set is rooted in total honesty and also commitment to this thing. Like you are determined AF to achieve this goal. It can't just be some nice idea that you have. So the integrity of the goal is up to you and you need to set yourself up for success by being honest and committing to it. So energetically, like on an energetic level, there is so much value in showing up for yourself. And this is a life thing as well. Showing up is often the most important thing, showing up for what matters in your life. So if you set goals and you show up for yourself and for those goals, energetically, there's going to be so much more power behind your recovery momentum. Number four, another one I've mentioned, and I know there's some repetition here with my fear foods episode, but I had just learned so much this month from our recovery collective. I wanted to make sure I shared all of it with you. So next is number four. With these goals, I also want you to plan in some self-care. So when you think about it, these are going to be challenging for you. If you're setting challenging goals, you're going to feel a lot of, you might actually feel drained because it takes a lot of mental and physical energy to manage the emotions of facing your fears every single day. 
Like I always relate to my ski. For me, I'm like terrified of skiing. I'm scared of skiing fast. If it was up to me, I would just float down the green trails every single time I go skiing. But I have to, in order to improve, I have to face my fears. And although I have a blast when I go down these steeper, faster blues, I'm really not that advanced. So usually a blue will, a blue trail will challenge me. It's the higher level trail or run, I guess, as they say, I leave those days feeling not just physically exhausted on the days I challenge myself, but mentally worn out because I'm facing my goals and I'm having to manage my fears the entire time. I know that you might minimize what you're going through as just eating. You might say, this doesn't, this shouldn't be hard. This is just eating. This is just something anyone can do. And I am defective because I can't eat with peace. And I want you to know that you are overcoming something incredibly challenging and incredibly hard and eating for you is a fear. So you are doing something amazing just by eating. You are facing your fears every day, but facing your fears is so exhausting. So what I'm saying here is the reason why you need to put together a self-care plan when you are setting your goals is because you need to fill up your cup and replenish your energy so that you can continue to repeat this challenge and reinforce the goal and actually prevent yourself from burning out. Burnout is a huge issue with recovery, especially if you do have perfectionist tendencies. And if you're very mean to yourself and beat yourself up emotionally and like verbally, it's very challenging. And so that's why self-care is so important because we cannot talk about goal setting without talking about burnout, especially in the recovery community. I feel like it's just, there's always a, you have to be protective of your energy. So this self-care plan helps you be protective of your energy. Self-care can look like planning to do a bubble bath at the, after a challenge or one of my clients, she is very hard on herself and has a lot of puts a lot of pressure on herself to succeed and be perfect and we noticed that when she challenged herself it was just so hard because she would go right from eating to studying for hours and hours and hours so there was no point where she was feeling any sort of relaxation during the day and in reality, when you're feeling relaxed, it's easier to digest your food. So she was running into these problems where she would challenge herself at meals and then go straight into studying and she would just tense up in her body and she felt really bloated and uncomfortable. And we noticed that she wasn't giving herself space to just take care of herself. So we set a goal, not just a food related goal, but a self care plan in which she gives herself permission to relax after each meal for at least 20 to 30 minutes. So that might be reading, watching some TV, listening to some music, meditating, doing some breath work. And 
I'm telling you, I've seen a lot of improvement with this client of mine ever since she started acknowledging that she needs to take care of herself while she's continuously challenging her food fears and, and reaching her goals and attempting her goals. That's important. So plan your self-care when you set your goals and acknowledge that rest and relaxation is a skill that you need to learn throughout this recovery process. I could sing that one on top of a mountain all day, like resting is a skill. Number five is your goals must make you uncomfortable. And the, the question you need to ask yourself when setting a goal is, does this piss my ED self off? <laughs> or does this piss my, yeah, does this piss my eating disorder off? And if the answer is yes, chances are it will help make you feel uncomfortable. I'm probably more of a compassionate coach. I'm a little bit more, I don't know, gentle on my clients. That's just my nature. But we do make sure that you are, while you are being compassionate with yourself, there is a component of discomfort. And if you're not feeling uncomfortable, there's a chance that you are not necessarily growing. Okay. So if you are talking to your dietitian and you are like really trying to make yourself feel safe in the process, I acknowledge the importance of feeling safe, but you really have to notice if you're feeling a little too comfy and work to piss your eating disorder off a little bit more. So one thing that came up in the collective this month is when we were setting goals, people were, people were very aware of the fact that they have been setting really fun goals for their recovery very easily. So that might be, oh, I'm going to start meditating every other morning, or I'm going to read a chapter of my eight keys to recovery book every day, or I'm going to listen to recovery podcasts while I'm commuting to work every day. Like those are all eating disorder recovery goals, but they are not uncomfortable goals. They just are informative and educational and inspirational, which is great. So you've got to hold yourself accountable to setting the uncomfortable goals as well. Okay. Number six is watch out for perfectionist thinking. And first of all, I want to acknowledge that perfectionism is not a terrible quality, but it can be basically utilized to just constantly beat yourself up and prevent you from being truly vulnerable with yourself and others in the world and prevent you from putting yourself out there. Um, but however, perfectionism can be directed towards recovery in a good way, like being a perfectionist about your meal plan and achieving your goals and being honest with your recovery team. Yes, that's important. But with goal setting, perfectionist thinking can really get in your way. So Oftentimes, perfectionists create some sort of fantasy in their worlds. And if you want to learn more about perfectionist fantasies, I definitely recommend you listen to the Unfuck Your Brain podcast with Kara Lowenthal. It's amazing. She does a great job explaining this. But 
basically perfectionists sometimes create these fantasies of goals that they want, where in reality, they intellectually know that someone like them can achieve this, but deep down, they haven't set themselves up to be able to do this themselves, and they don't really believe that they can actually do it. So perfectionist fantasy and EV recovery I see a lot is thinking that you're just going to be able to go all in with your recovery immediately. And so you go get on this really intense meal plan right away and then you're not meeting that meal plan at all because the perfectionist in you wants to meet that meal plan. But in reality, you are not there yet. And you haven't acknowledged that you probably need to build up to something like that and set smaller goals before you can just like be all in with this meal plan. Or even, even more is thinking that you can just jump from being extremely restrictive to intuitive eating right away. And that one day you're just going to quit your eating disorder, cold turkey, and you're going to heal. Or maybe the perfectionist thinking is I'm going to recover really quickly and it's going to only take me two months to recover and I can move on from this. So there's so many perfectionist mindsets that can trap you because when you hit that wall, which usually you inevitably do at some point, you're going to want to quit. You're going to burn out instead of keeping going. So the perfectionist needs to actually shoot for about passing grades. You need to shoot for C level work, B minus work. I know this is like probably going to be confusing to people, but you need, like, you do not have to have perfect grades in recovery. You can lower the bar a little and at least put yourself out there continuously and protect your energy to a level where you have long-term stamina. So it is proven that small changes have more long-term impact and make on adults and, and their learning than these massive changes because they're, they might not be so sustainable. I fell into this perfectionist trap just a, like earlier this month because I set this goal for myself to make 30 TikToks in 30 days. And I went from never really creating a TikTok in my life. <laughs> and I knew deep down in my heart, I could feel it. I knew deep down in my heart that this was really unrealistic for me because I'm just I struggle with social media. I am booked out with clients and the recovery collective. And I just knew that I probably couldn't dedicate an hour a day to creating these TikToks. Because when you're new, it takes you even longer to create TikToks because you're figuring it all out. So I set this impossible, it was like a perfectionist goal for me because it's a streak. It's a, it's a streak. There was no range. There was no compassion saying maybe on Saturdays you can take a day off or whatever. It was just this perfectionist goal. And I was attaching myself to something. Oh, if I can do this for 30 days, my TikTok's going to go viral. <laughs> And everything on social media is going to transform for me. And I think I made it to like day 10 and then completely burned out. 
Um, I think a more realistic goal. So that was my inner perfectionist and fancy the fantasy attached to going viral. A more realistic goal might have been, I'm going to create two to three TikToks this week and see if I can repeat that the following week. And that probably would have been a much better strategy for me. And I'm calling myself out on this because I would like to try that down the road. So everyone keep an eye out for me on uh, TikTok or Reels because you'll see if I am uh, continuing my goal in that way. I haven't set another goal around it, but I've been thinking about it. So watch out for perfectionist thinking as number six. Number seven is make sure you repeat the goals and the challenges. So if you set a goal to face your fear foods, say it's again, the bagel thing, you can't just have one big bagel with cream cheese and say to yourself, wow, I am healed. I am better now. No, you need to repeat that challenge as often as possible until that fear around that food is neutralized. So when you look at a food and you feel some energetic response around it, maybe it's like McDonald's, you feel some anger, annoyance, resentment towards McDonald's. That's a sign that you have some issues to work through and that is not a neutral food for you. So the more you expose yourself to this food, the more neutralized it's going to be. So if you can repeat it, I have a client who's been repeating Snickers bars all the time, which I'm so proud of her for, or another one, another client I work with, she's been repeating burgers. And I love to see this because the more you can do that, the more you can wrap your head around that item and recognize it's not so scary. You're taking it off of that weird pedestal that you have it on, even though I don't know if it's quite a pedestal. It's more like you're just bringing it back down to normalcy. And that's why repetition is important. And next, number eight for secret to goal setting and recovery is learning from your failures. There's a lot of chitter chatter around these parts about failure and that it doesn't exist. (laughs) And people don't believe in failure and all of this stuff. And I always struggle with that because I've definitely felt that I've failed a few things in life and then I've learned from them. So yes, there is no such thing as failure. I can acknowledge that to an extent, like I think there's no such thing as failure as long as you don't give up. So for instance, when I was in modeling back in the day when the height of my eating disorder and my eating disorder just took over and I started binging more and just rapidly gaining weight because my body was in survival mode and I had to quit modeling and walk away from the contract and walk away from Fashion Week and New York City and all the glamour, I really did categorize that as a failure in my life because it never happened, because the goal crashed and burned in my face. But despite me labeling it as a failure, 
I see the value in that experience. I see that I was able to learn from that experience. I learned from myself. It set me up on a track to fully recover. It taught me that following negative moments in your life usually has a positive upswing where equal opposite reaction will occur. So in this case, my dream crashed and burned in my face, but then a few months later I fell in love and I was as happy in my first relationship as I could have ever been. So I'll let you decide if you believe failures are real or if they're not, but I I think if you have the insight to learn from them, it doesn't matter if you see it as a failure or not. You just need to learn from your mistakes. And that is the key. So if you set yourself up for a goal, like my TikTok goal, I technically did not succeed in that goal. I kind of, we could say failed, but I don't really see failure as a bad thing. And I think that's why I have trouble with this whole concept of failure doesn't exist because I don't see failure as a bad thing and you don't have to either. Failure is a good thing. I remember when I was 24, I had just gotten out of all of my eating disorder stuff and I was talking to my first life coach and I said to her, oh my God, failure is amazing. Failure has changed my life. I love failure. I embrace it because I grow from it and I've experienced so much massive growth from this. And she kind of looked at me. She's like, I've never heard anyone talk about failure the way you do. And it's because I have, my brain wiring has attached failure with growth and I see it as a good thing. In business coaching, I've heard this example of, you know, people like when they're building their coaching base up and they're trying to pitch for new clients and like just get more deals and all this stuff. A coach, I don't remember who it was, but someone's offered this concept of try to challenge yourself to see how many rejections you get. And that is a success in itself because you are at least putting yourself out there a lot. So Yes, you say you only get one rejection because you've only offered your services to one person. That isn't as powerful as getting rejected 10 times because you've at least put yourself out there 10 times. So it was an interesting concept for me. So even If I meet with a client or potential client and they decide they don't want to work with me, I don't necessarily see that as a bad thing. Although it may be viewed as a failed consultation, I might see it as, well, at least I put myself out there. And at least I saw, you know, I at least talked to a new person and they are aware of my services. And this is, you know, the decision that they made. It might not even have a reflection on me. So anyway... I'm like processing a lot of my thoughts about failure while I'm talking to all of you guys, but failure isn't always a bad thing, especially if you can pull out the magic from the failure, pull out the golden nuggets, pull out the wisdom that you can learn. So then you can make adjustments and try again. Okay. So you can basically fail your way to recovery, fail your way to success because 
every time you do not achieve a goal, it's just an opportunity to learn from it and reassess and set up your environment and your mindset for success. So there we go. And then number nine, secrets to goal setting and recovery. This is a big one, is celebrate your wins. Acknowledge how far you've come. Consistently reflect on the progress you've made. I have seen clients make massive progress. I'm saying massive progress, but I can still sense sometimes that there's this feeling that they haven't made enough progress yet because they haven't gotten to recovery yet. Just hold yourself, hold space for yourself, have patience for yourself and celebrate those wins, whether they are big or small. And a lot of times how it feels like, it feels like you're not making any progress, but then when you compare to yourself to who you were six months ago, you realize that you've made a lot of progress. And for some people, recovery is a slow burn and it's just baby steps. And so you need to celebrate all of it. I recommend tracking it in on your phone, like in the notes app on your phone or writing it down in your journal, texting your coach, whatever wins or victories you've accomplished. And that's going, what that does is boost your confidence and it also increases motivation. So it's kind of like keeping a gratitude list because you're acknowledging what you already have. It just brings you a sense of accomplishment. It brings celebrating your wins will help you stay motivated and give yourself a little bit of compassion on those days that you're beating yourself up. You are so much more aware of the things you've achieved. That's it. So those are my nine secrets to goal setting in eating disorder recovery. I will reiterate them first before I let you go. So one is make them specific and strategic. Two is be one step ahead of your eating disorder. Three is that you must stick to the integrity of the goal. Four is that you must create a self-care plan. Five is that these Goals must make you feel uncomfortable. So how, so are you pissing your eating disorder off enough? (laughs) Six is watch out for perfectionist thinking. Seven is repetition. Eight is learning from your failures. Nine is celebrating your wins. So those are my nine secrets to goal setting and recovery. I, if you've enjoyed this episode, please screenshot it and share it on your Instagram please tag me. um, And I would love to hear what your goals are. You can DM me and let me know which goals you set for yourself. Even ask me if I have any feedback on your goals. I love to hear from the listeners on this podcast. And I really appreciate all of you for listening. You guys are truly amazing and you inspire me every day. So if you do find this podcast helpful, I also ask that you just rate, review, and subscribe. It really helps spread the word that we exist. This podcast exists and we can help more people reach recovery that way, which is the ultimate goal. So anyway, I love you guys. Thank you so much for listening and have an amazing rest of your day.